0: Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. On today's show, last night's GOP debate in South Carolina. Joining me in our studio to discuss it is exasperated critic and founder of Tech Freedom, Baron Soka. The big Tech Policy debate that flared up last night featured Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and their different approach to government surveillance. Rubio had this to say. When I'm president, I will work consistently every single day to keep this country safe, not call Edward Snowden, Snowden, as you did, a great public servant. Edward Snowden is a traitor. And if I am president and we get our hands on him,
1: he is standing trial for treason.
0: Rubio is referencing comments that Cruz made in June of 2013, right in the wake of the Edward Snowden revelations about the scope of government surveillance. At an event hosted by The Blaze, Cruz had this to say about Snowden's actions. Quote, if it is the case that the federal government is seizing millions of personal records about law-abiding citizens, and if it is the case that there are minimal restrictions on accessing or reviewing those records, then I think Mr. Snowden has done a considerable public service by bringing it to light. But recently, Senator Cruz struck a different tune, telling the New York Times, quote, it is now clear that Snowden is a traitor and he should be tried for treason.
2: So Baron, why the flip-flop? Well, clearly, politics have changed. National security really has become America's number one political issue. The most interesting and unfortunate example of this is is Rand Paul went from being on the cover of Time magazine, being called the most interesting man in politics precisely because he made these issues the centerpiece of his Senate campaign and his time in the Senate and then eventually his, his White House race. And last night, he didn't even make the cut for the debate. And that's really unfortunate. We, we clearly missed a lot of his advocacy on these issues. He and Cruz tend to agree on a lot. This might be one of the few areas where they uh, probably don't agree, where Rand has been much more willing to say that that we're better off for Edward Snowden's leaks. And, and Cruz has clearly tried to protect his right flank by criticizing Cruz, uh, Snowden. And it was really unfortunate that Rand wasn't there because
0: Most of the candidates at this point are just trying to out-hawk each other, trying to appear the strongest on national security, and he really is a different brand of Republican, and he really brings something else to the table. So you could argue that Fox Business really did a disservice to the viewers by not including him. However, to be fair to the network, they did invite him to the undercard debate. And rather than take that opportunity to potentially dominate the undercard debate and reach millions of viewers, he instead, in what many are calling a publicity stunt, decided to skip the debate and hold a Twitter town hall instead. And for that reason, none of the media coverage after the debate is going to focus on Rand's differences with Cruz and Ruby on surveillance. Instead,
2: Voters are just going to miss out on that completely. And really, it's going to be up to Cruz going forward to decide how much he wants to go on the offensive here. If he wants to play defense, he can hold his own, as he did in the last debate on surveillance when Rubio pressed him hard. But on issues like this, he's got to decide what he wants to say. And here's what I would have said if I were him. I wouldn't go so far out as he's done attacking Snowden and saying he should be tried as a a traitor. I'd say something like, look, this is genuinely hard. Uh, We're clearly better off because of those revelations. We clearly wouldn't be having this debate at all if Edward Snowden hadn't blown the whistle. You could make some arguments that we perhaps would have been better off if those uh, leaks had been handled uh, through more official channels. But if you're going to make that argument, you also have to say specifically what you would do to reform America's whistleblower laws so that future Edward Snowdens have other options Besides going public, and I will say just about the Republican politics of this, that Edward Snowden has said some some pretty crazy things, like that we shouldn't have standing intelligence agencies. I, I think any civil libertarian who really appreciates that there is a balance between liberty and security would find that a bridge too far. And, and so the trick really should be for someone like Cruz to. To strike a pro-civil liberties note to say that what Snowden did was important, but that you don't have to agree with Snowden on everything. And unfortunately, he hasn't really done that.
0: So the surveillance attack was one that Rubio levied on Cruz last night, but that wasn't the only time he attacked him. On defense spending, Rubio had this to say. Every single time that there has been a defense bill in the Senate, three people team up to vote against it. Bernie Sanders, Rand Paul, and ted cruz in fact the only budget you have ever voted for ted in your entire time in the senate is a budget from rand paul that brags about how it cuts defense rubio's talking about the annual national defense authorization act ndaa for short and it's essentially a military spending bill it includes other provisions but the ndaa has really been both a christmas tree for national security hawks and a focal point for privacy advocates who have tried to get amendments added to protect civil liberties And this issue blew up in 2012 and has been a big issue since. Barron, what's Senator
2: Rubio talking about here? Well, he's trying to hang Ted Cruz for standing up for basic values of due process. The issue is back in 2012, the question of whether the president could detain Americans indefinitely without trial uh, was a hot button political issue. People like Ted Cruz ran on that. It was a rallying cry for the Tea Party. Ted Cruz promised during his campaign that he would oppose any indefinite detention, and that fight has centered on the NDAA. In November of 2011, civil libertarians in both parties actually got an end to indefinite detention into the Senate bill, the Senate version of the NDAA, and then John McCain and the forces of national security jumped in, and they had it removed. So that really was the the focal point of that fight, and it's happened every year since And that's why people like Ted Cruz and Republicans in the Tea Party, as well as civil libertarian Democrats, have voted against the NDAA subsequently. And it's not just Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. It's also people like Mike Lee, who are clearly conservative darlings. So indefinite detention of American citizens, what does this have to do with surveillance and tech policy? Well, there's two connections. The first one is general. The general theme here is due process. And and that is the same issue as in surveillance debates. What does the Constitution require? How do we balance liberty with security? And the fact is that Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, a number of other Republicans, and Democrats like Ron Wyden, for example, have stood up for due process on the question of indefinite detention, just as they have on other questions of surveillance. And I think whatever you think of Ted Cruz, you have to give him credit, just as you have to give Rand Paul credit for being willing to stand up on that issue repeatedly when they know that Hawks like Marco Rubio will use it against them.
0: In June of 2014, the House voted 293 to 123, a pretty overwhelming margin, for an amendment to the NDAA that was put forth by Kentucky Republican Thomas Massey, who's got some libertarian leanings, and Silicon Valley Democrat Zoe Lofgren. And quite simply, that amendment would prohibit the search of government databases for information on U.S. citizens without a warrant. And it would also cut off funding for the CIA and the NSA to put in security vulnerabilities or quote back doors into domestic tech products that would allow intelligence agencies to search our communications.
2: Yeah. Ma- Massey Lofgren has been a rallying cry ever since for privacy advocates. It's come up in the context specifically of the NDAA, which is the other reason that the NDAA is actually connected to tech policy. Uh, back in 2014, there was an effort to do a lot of what ultimately was passed in the USA Freedom Act last summer. That passed the House with 300 votes. And, and that didn't cover everything that USA Freedom did. There was a separate issue that, that uh, Massey and Lofgren were pushing that still remains a live issue that was not addressed by USA Freedom, which is this question of of backdoors, And we're now seeing that debate play out once again in the encryption debate. And you heard Marco Rubio reference that. You heard Jeb Bush talk about it last night. The same fight's happening right now, and it's happening again mainly on the House side. That's where most of these things have come from. It's been, again, uh, Zoe Lofgren, uh, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash. A Libertarian Republican is now pushing these issues. And unfortunately, on the Senate side, the only senator on the Republican side that's really been proactive is Rand Paul. And without him in the debates, the question then becomes, is Ted Cruz going to stand up for these issues? To summarize a lot of the civil liberties debates
0: that are going on right now, a lot of these amendments and measures to reform government surveillance often pass the House with wide margins. But when they get to the Senate, there just isn't a lot of movement there. And you mentioned Rand Paul, other than Mike Lee, Ron Wyden from Oregon. There's just not a lot of senators that are interested in this. And it will be interesting to see if Ted Cruz will continue to walk back his rhetoric, you know, call Edward Snowden a traitor, Or is he going to really stick up for privacy, especially since Rand Paul is increasingly becoming an
2: afterthought in the race? I think the best case scenario for privacy advocates is that Ted Cruz finds clever political ways to sound both pro-privacy and also pro-national security. You heard that in the last debate where he defended his vote for the USA Freedom Act by saying, yes, it did end bulk collection, but it also made sure that the national intelligence agencies could get access to a wider range of records. The more he can find opportunities like that, the more likely he is to, to stand tough on privacy. So let's shift to encryption. Moderator Neil Cavuto
0: and Governor Bush had this exchange last night. The FBI says Islamic radicals are using social media
1: to communicate and that it needs better access to communication. Now, the CEO of Apple, Governor Tim Cook, says, unless served with a warrant, private communication is private, period do you agree or would you try to convince him otherwise? I would try to convince him otherwise but with Tim our Cook private But Tim Cook telling you no, Mr. President... You've got to keep asking. You've got to keep asking because this is a hugely important issue. If you can encrypt messages, ISIS can, over these platforms, and we have no ability to, to have a cooperative relationship... So do you relationship? ask or do you order? Well, if the law would change, yeah. I think there has to be a, a recognition that if we if we are too punitive, then you'll go to other, other uh, technology companies outside the United States. And what we want to do is to control this. We also want to dominate this from a commercial side. So there's a lot of balanced interests.
0: Speaking of balanced interests, the Bush campaign has been the only one to put out a cybersecurity briefing. It mentions cybersecurity 35 times, but privacy only twice. That's a hell of a balance, Baron.
2: Well, as I was just saying about Ted Cruz, there are ways to to balance and to talk about privacy and security. The obvious one here, the one that I wish more libertarians would note, is that good security is the only way to protect privacy. Obviously, your privacy isn't secure if a malicious hacker or a foreign government, or for that matter, our government, can hack into your service. So you would hope that these campaigns would find ways to, to talk about the two things together. But they don't, and I think when you read that that Jeb Bush cybersecurity briefing, when you hear his comments last night, it becomes pretty apparent that what you're really seeing is the moral psychology of of conservatism at work in in the worst way, and that's totally focused on threats and fears and harms, and not at all on on liberties, on on ways to make the world work better, on the fact that encryption is a form of innovation. It's a way of better securing our privacy, better protecting us. That from our own government, better protecting people who live in repressive countries from their governments. And he just doesn't get that. And that's where you see conservatives and libertarians really part ways.
0: You've got the CEO of one of the biggest tech companies in the world telling the governor and others. There's no way to just have a backdoor and encryption and to make that work. But this is not unique to Jeb Bush, where he comes back and says, well, you just got to try harder. We mentioned on a previous podcast that the FBI director, James Comey, has been appealing to the entrepreneurship and innovation of Silicon Valley as a way to say, just figure this out. You guys are smart. And you've got Hillary Clinton calling for a Manhattan Project on encryption. So it's pretty ridiculous to see these politicians running around saying, just try harder, when the people who really understand the technology are saying it can't be done. But that's not all the governor had to say about encryption. Jeb went on and on. The problem today is there's no confidence in
1: Washington, D.C. There needs to be more than just one meeting. There needs to be complete dialogue with the large technology companies.
2: Yeah, I laughed out loud at this part. He, he's talking about a meeting that the president had last week with tech leaders, including folks from Apple. What he's saying is one meeting isn't enough. We need to have more meetings, as if just having them come in and talk to the president more is going to make a big difference. And obviously, if anybody could persuade the tech sector to do something, it's Jeb Bush, the most (laughs) persuasive candidate on the stage. So you can laugh about it, and and you can ridicule Jeb Bush. And believe me, I I enjoy that more than anyone. But but there is actually something rather dark going on here. When, When he talks about just asking again and again and again... What he's really talking about is pressuring those private companies to do things that they don't want to do without getting the law changed. Republicans have spent the last few years criticizing Barack Obama for executive action, for doing things through administrative agencies. But as bad as that is, even worse is when the government doesn't even get a law through a regulatory agency. It just strong arms private companies into doing things. And that happens all the time. The two most egregious examples of this were when the news broke about Edward Snowden and WikiLeaks. Joe Lieberman used his perch as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee to get Amazon to shut off hosting to WikiLeaks and and the ability for people to donate to that that campaign. That's an example of, of government using its power to pressure companies to do things just by berating them. There are lots of other examples. Sometimes it's uh, taking away government contracts. The CEO of Quest alleges that the NSA penalized him for Quest refusing to play ball with the NSA by taking away hundreds of millions of dollars in government contracts. So I I see that lurking behind Jeb's rather clueless and and harmless-seeming talk.
0: It's not crazy to think that when you have major candidates from both parties talking about encryption in this way, that that's going to have an effect on the way companies do and think about things, even if you're not getting a law passed. You know, you've got Hillary Clinton, a very likely president, talking about a Manhattan Project for encryption. You've got you know Jeb Bush, maybe maybe he's slipping in the polls a little bit, but he's talking about the same thing. Slipping
2: in the polls down to 3.5%.
0: Still a prominent figure. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, it's not... It,
2: Which just underscores that the, the problem with American politics is money. Clearly, Jeb Bush demonstrates that.
0: <laughs> well, if you thought Jeb was done with tech companies, he wasn't. He went on again.
1: They understand that there's a national security risk. We ought to give them a little bit of a liability relief, so that if they share data amongst themselves and share data with the federal government, they're, they're not fearful of a lawsuit.
2: Wow, Jeb really doesn't know what's going on in D.C. What he's talking about here, this idea of allowing private companies to share information with each other or with the government with legal immunity in case they share private information along the way, that's been debated for years and that was just passed. It was added as part of the budget deal just recently in Congress and Jeb doesn't seem to understand that that happened. Uh, we find that pretty troubling. It doesn't really strike the right balance between privacy and security. But once again, Jeb just seems to to be calling it in from about a year ago. Jeb
0: did actually make
2: one
1: good point. We need to make sure that we keep the country safe. This is the first priority. The cybersecurity challenges that we face, this administration has failed us completely, completely. Not just the hacking of OPM, but that is, that is just shameful. 23 million files in the hands of the Chinese. So it's not just the, the government's outs- the private sector uh, companies, it's also our own government that needs to raise the level of our game.
2: Yeah, he's absolutely right. The federal government and state governments generally do a terrible job of securing private information. And, and the breach of all this data from the Office of Personnel Management, these records about 23 million Americans being in the hands of probably the Chinese is the clearest example yet of the incompetence of government. So he's right, it's certainly something that everyone would agree on. I'm not sure I'd trust uh, Hillary Clinton to fix that problem given her low standards for cybersecurity with her own email and the fact that she uses that for classified information. Uh, But here the question really is about specifically what are we gonna do to get the federal government to clean up its act? And and that really, if you wanna take that on, you need to take on federal procurement, the, the same set of incompetence that produced the Obamacare website Ultimately, it's responsible for this dynamic of federal agencies not being able to secure private information. But you also have to recognize that you're never really going to be able to fix that problem. The federal government's always going to do a terrible job at holding sensitive information. So probably we should make sure that it holds less information, uh, doesn't hold information it doesn't really need, and, and that it doesn't hold multiple copies of it. And unfortunately, CISA made this problem worse. It didn't address the incompetence
0: that you just mentioned, which is the real source of the problem. Unfortunately, it's putting more of our personal information in the hands of government agencies that have not shown an ability to secure data. One last example from Jeb about the government's role in cybersecurity. We should put the NSA in charge
1: of the civilian side of this as well. That expertise needs to spread all across the government, and there needs to be much more cooperation with our private sector.
2: Ugh, this is one of the worst things that Jeb said last night. Uh, This is one area where privacy advocates across the political spectrum have agreed for years. If there's going to be a clearinghouse when private companies share information with the government about cyber threats, which might include personal information like the contents of an email account, that clearinghouse should be a civilian agency. And that's for a lot of reasons, but number one, it's about not trusting those national intelligence agencies not to abuse that data. And that is so important because intelligence
0: officials have straight up lied to Congress about government surveillance. Here's National Director of Intelligence James Clapper in an infamous exchange with Senator Ron Wyden in March of 2013, a few months before Snowden dropped his bombshells.
1: So what I wanted to see is if you could give me a yes or no answer to the question, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not? Not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps uh, collect, but not, not wittingly. All right
2: yeah as if we didn't need more reasons to be skeptical about the nsa they they lied to congress they've also spied on congress and they've generally been unwilling to give an inch in this entire debate about uh, national security this is again why we really would not be having any of this debate we would have had no progress here if it hadn't been for snowden's leaks so baron major takeaways from last night's debate surveillance isn't going away it's going to continue to dominate these debates Cruz is clearly going to be on the defensive. It's up to him whether he wants to go on the offensive, whether he wants to connect these ideas to basic American values. Without Rand there to do it, he's going to have to make this a priority.
0: And another theme that we saw in last night's nice debate was a lack of optimism about the United States, which pretty much every candidate on stage shared, You know, especially Trump, but even some of the more, quote, reasonable candidates. President Obama, in his State of the Union, went out of his way to talk about how America's on the upswing, our military is not in decline, but every candidate on stage last night just called us weak, you know, the country's in the toilet, it's being run by incompetent people.
2: So where does this leave the GOP? Well, I first of all would give John Kasich some credit. He did sound some notes of optimism last night. You also hear this more from uh, congressional Republicans. Uh, Paul Ryan organized a summit on poverty last weekend in Columbia, South Carolina that focused on these issues, that channeled the spirit of Jack Kemp, that great Republican optimist. Jimmy Kemp was there, uh, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie, and they talked about how America is getting better in many ways, but importantly, how to uplift America's most disadvantaged. Yeah, the point here really is that the Republican Party needs a leader on tech policy, or it may need two. And the best case scenario is that you see uh, Rand continue to, to... be a leader on surveillance. The Cruz picks up some of that, that you see Republicans like Thomas Massey, like Justin Amash, be leaders on surveillance. But there's another set of issues here that are opportunities for bipartisan agreement and opportunities for optimism. We have talked about them earlier this week. Things like, like broadband deployment. And really, the only one that seems to be willing to invest political capital in that in the Senate is John Thune. He's chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee. He's a very moderate sounding Republican from the Midwest who talks about compromise and common ground, who's tried to reach a legislative deal on net neutrality. You hear that from the House Energy and Commerce Committee as well, from Greg Walden and Fred Upton. The three of them really could be the Republican leaders on the non-surveillance side of tech on promoting disruptive innovation, broadband deployment, finally resolving the net neutrality fight. So the question I think really here is, is Congress going to step up to the plate and try to focus on some of the positive parts of this? And really, they have a few months to do that before the opportunity for legislation closes.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. You can follow us on Twitter at TechFreedom or at Facebook.com slash TechFreedom. Thank you for listening.
2: The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by TechFreedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.